0: Today on Locked on Canadians, it is a Friday mailbag, but also with some special prospect analysis and all that's coming up in just one moment here on Locked on Canadians.
1: You are Locked on Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Hi there, everyone, and welcome to episode 909. We thank you for making us your first listen of the day every day. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit fanduel.com slash Locked On to get started. My name is Laura Saba, also known as the Active Stick, and I'm not joined today by my wonderful co-host Scott Matla. Instead, at the end of this episode, I have a very special segment from the lovely people, Locked On NHL Prospects, where they talk about the depth of the Canadians' prospect pool. There's some analysis in there. There's, you know, your favorite hits. There's a little bit of chat about Reinbacher. There's chat, obviously, about Logan Mayu. There's a lot of questions about him, So, like they talked about him. Um, and that's coming up at the end of this show. But first, we have our Friday mailbag. uh, And I am going to preface this by saying we did not get to every question. But that's okay, because one of the questions we're turning into a full episode next week. Um, And finally, uh, to our very loyal and patient listener, Danny, I'm not going to answer your question in today's mailbag, because you are getting a live bonus episode of your own, completely dedicated to Montreal and your questions. Um, And I'm going to shoot you an email after we're done recording this episode, uh, in order to set up a time so that all our listeners can join in and so that you can be there to ask questions and follow up questions. And I have some special guests from Montreal join us and you're going to get like literally your entire, an entire episode, a bonus episode dedicated to you. So everybody, uh, you know, look out for that. We'll announce it on the show at some point soon. Uh, also, we have another bonus episode for charity reasons. It's coming up with my friend, Megan Fowler. um, And that's going to be really fun, but enough about previewing all this stuff. Let's get right into the mailbag. I did want to say to listener Claude, uh, thank you so much for your well wishes. Uh, If you've been listening all week, or if you've been listening since last week, or you noticed that last week's mailbag wasn't there, I've not been feeling well. Um, And Claude sent a wonderful message. And I just want to send like, just, Thank everybody that's been like, you know, sending well wishes my way. I'm on the mend, I'm almost out of the woods. Um, but uh, I, as you can tell, if you are watching the show, (laughs) I do not look completely out of the woods. But hopefully, by the time we record on Monday or on Sunday for Monday, I will be fully, fully recovered. Anyway, this is a question from listener Claude, and I think it's a great question. Hi, guys. Recently, I've noticed a lot of prognosticators putting an end date on the Habs rebuild as though there's a finite date. I think building rather than rebuild would be a more accurate term for what Gorton and al are up to. That being said, as part of their plan to be a perennial cup contender, when do you think they should use their draft capital and prospect pool to acquire an elite player or two? Is next year too soon? So when I going to sort of split that up into two questions. The first question is, you know, should it be a build or rebuild? I think in today's NHL, it's kind of built for teams to just do rebuilds. But if you're a smart GM and you have ownership that will support this and you have a fan base that will support this, you do a rebuild, yes, a one rebuild, uh, but then you become a perennial contender for many, many years by knowing what assets you're able to give up at various points in time because you know some of these players are going to eventually become too expensive for you to keep and knowing how to find diamonds in the rough because as you go on and become a perennial contender you're going to obviously be drafting later so either you're going to be able to trade away for other teams high draft picks or you're going to have to be really smart with your whatever 29th pick or 31st whatever it is It's going to be, um, you know, it's twofold. But the idea would be that your core is continually good and they have longevity. Like the way that you grow them, the contracts that they agree to and all of that. So they'll be around for a long time. And then the pieces that you add, you'll be smart about. So I think you do one rebuild and hope it turns into a build. um, And the, I hate to say it because I hate them with a passion, but the Pittsburgh Penguins are a great example of this. They did tank. Uh, admittedly, Uh, they got some phenomenal, not just generational, but, you know, just like some of the best players ever to play the game. And then, you know, you're looking at it now, and they recently missed the playoffs for the first time in, I don't know, eons, right? Because every single time they would have a player and it would be like, who the F is that guy? And he's playing on a line with Sidney Crosby and all of a sudden having like a 40 goal season or whatever, maybe not a 40 goal season but you know, like they, they won the cup and then they came back and they did like a repeated Stanley cup wins. And I think it's so, so important to build a team like that, where your core wants to stay your it's your core's elite. That's really important. It's durable. It's really important. They want to stay, um, and you work on your cap and you know what to trade and when. And, and you know, I do think a lot of luck plays into it, but you definitely have to do it in such a way because there's no point in going to the, you know, Canadians went to the Stanley Cup final, didn't win, and then have had a couple of miserable season, seasons in a row. And the only thing keeping us fans going is the fact that there's a new management that's trying to build a contender now. So, you know, I think I think you need to be able that like you're going to lose your fans, you're going to lose support, you're going to end up that's going to end up costing you financially, you're not going to be able to make those decisions that you're going to need to make to bring in big players. But to answer your actual question, like the question at the end, which was, when do you think the Canadians, uh, when do you think they should use their draft capital and prospect pool to acquire an elite player or two? Is next year too soon? Yes, I believe next year is too soon uh, because I think the build or rebuild or whatever you want to call it is longer than just two years. I think you want this upcoming season to see progress in the players, but it's going to be a little soon for them to know exactly what they have in the players that this management group has drafted, right? So you have to think about 2022 onwards. I think there's going to, you know, a lot of them aren't even going to be ready to play in the AHL or NHL this year. So we're not going to be able to see what they have. I think, you know, a couple of years from now, that's when you start thinking about it. When you are able to sniff the playoffs, that's when you make those difficult decisions, I think. Um, and I want to thank you again for your question because it is a fantastic one. I want to move on to another question from our mailbag. And this is from Randy Hansen. Um, and here, here's the question: With these kind of quotes on Florian Jackeye, how does this impact your views on this selection? Montreal Canadiens prospect Florian Jacki has an offensive explosion this year. His, Arbor's younger brother landed at the Brantford Bulldogs, formerly Hamilton Camp, Visic- visibly bigger, hovering perilously close to six foot four, and more confident than ever in possession of the puck. He has con- gained considerably in mass and physical strength. You're going to see a much better offensive output from him this season. I'd like to give you a comparison with an NHL player, but I've seen so much growth in him that I refrain from putting limits on his potential," said Bulldogs head coach Jay McKee. So I'm not sure where the quote is from because Randy didn't mention in his email, but I'm obviously I'm assuming it's from a season preview uh, of the Brantford Bulldogs, uh, or it's from uh, I actually Googled this and I now because I know I was preparing for last week's Friday mailbag. I Google this and I do not remember where I found that it was from. I'm so sorry. I will mention it on the next podcast and I'll put it in the, um, in the notes for this show. Uh, so the question for me is how does this impact your views on this selection? I think a couple of things, obviously we saw a little bit in the video, uh, the draft video that we talked about in our previous episode. And also this quote, um, I think the thing about Florian Jack is that I never had a problem with picking him. It's how high they picked him, right? Like, this is supposed to be... Like, the Florian Jack guy, if he turns out to be what the Canadians think he, he is going to turn out to be, he's supposed to be a steal. And for me, his draft positioning didn't really reflect that. And it still does not reflect that, right? Like, there's a long way to go. Like, I'm excited if he does achieve that potential that the Canadians think he has and that he is as unique as people say and he's, you know, a diamond in the rough or whatever it is. I'm happy. I just don't know necessarily that the Canadians should have drafted him as high as they did. I think that there were other players on the board that were a little bit more sure to be NHLers. Uh, That's how I'm going to say, that's how I'm going to phrase it. Um, And so, you know, again, like I like him as a player. I like the story. I love his brother. We all do. I just think the draft pick that was used on him was too high. That's all. And so far, that's not going to change my mind. I think seeing him play and seeing his actual potential, that's when I'll change my mind. But I really love the question. Uh, And we've got so much more mailbag coming up in just one moment. And don't forget, there's a prospect talk later in this episode. Uh, But in the meantime, I still have a couple more. And one of them is about Yoel Armia. And that's coming up in just one moment. But first... This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Football season is about to kick off and FanDuel is giving you the chance to win all season long. Because right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl and you'll get bonus bets for every victory. You can use your bonus bets on spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit fanduel.com slash locked on and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sports book. That's fanduel.com slash locked on. And as you know, um, we are in our three days a week uh, schedule, but next week is our last three day week schedule and we are going back up to five days training camp's going to start there's so much more talk we have so much more guests lined up we have a couple more bonus episodes coming before puck drops on the regular season so please stay tuned and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts in the meantime we got a couple of questions actually we got them on the application formerly known as twitter and this is our friend uh peter in geneva who's asked this before. Hi, Peter. Uh, Hope you're doing well. Who's asked this mailback questions before. Um, But uh, he had two questions for us. Question one. If any current Canadians roster player would have been stranded at Burning Man this year, then who would it be? So it has to be a current Canadians roster player. So it can't be a prospect. It can't be somebody who's recently traded away. Because I I think either, you know, Pitlick or... uh, Edmondson might have been uh, in that cohort. I want to say like a low-key, somebody that you wouldn't necessarily expect. I You know, maybe this is out of left field. Goalies seem like Burning Man guys. So Jake Allen, even though we know he likes to like go and fish in, in, in the Maritimes and things like that, I feel like maybe he would have gone to Burning Man. Like Goalies, I think, goalies seem like Burning Man type people. Again, I've never been. They just seem like that type of person. So I'm going to leave it at maybe the three goalies or they took Caden Primo with them. Maybe the three NHL goalies and Caden Primo got in like a Jeep or whatever they do, like an SUV, and went to Burning Man and got stranded in the rains. Like that's the kind of player I think... Uh, would end up getting stuck at Burning Man, and for those of you who didn't, up, who weren't up on the news, the Burning Man festival got um, flooded. I guess there was like torrential rains. It was like a freak weather thing, um, and they had an ordeal getting out of there and coming back home. Um, and apparently, there was I think at least one death there. So either way, uh, I do feel that you know the type of if if you take that out of the equation, if you the type of person who would go to Burning Man would definitely be a goalie. And I'm sorry for rambling so much. Um, But the next question is about Yoel Armia. Is there any chance that Armia can put it together this season? If not, what else should the Habs give up to just move on from him once and for all? I think the problem with Yoel Armia is that his contract is reflective of an outlier good season it's not necessarily reflective of what he brings to a team but since he got it he's been having so much trouble living up to it like and i do think that there is such a thing as real pressure like i think he's a great person you know the team seems to love him i think if mark Bergevin had been realistic about what he's able to do he wouldn't have seemed so overpaid but in a situation where you are that way and and you know i don't think that he's oblivious to what the fans have been thinking and saying this whole time like he's not he's not an idiot i i just i feel like that pressure is there but if you look at you know his true potential like i don't think that i don't think that even if he plays to the maximum level even if everything goes right for him this season I think that there's going to be some people that don't think that he's worth his contract anyway or that don't want him on this roster. Um, and that's, you know, I that's, we're Habs fans. That's kind of understandable. It comes with the territory. Like, I really do think, though, if he's able to get his game back even a little bit, like, then you won't have to package too much to send him off to another team. Because I think the Canadians right now, like, with... I, they don't have that much room to retain salary, not cap room, but like slots, spots to retain salary. And I think any team that would come and look for Yoel Armia would want that. But because he's not able to get his game together, I don't think anyone's like even remotely interested. Like it's not even like with Mike Hoffman, where if you put him in the right situation, like he was doing his best and thriving in the right situations, right? Like, remember, like, towards, like, the second half of last season, we were all kind of pleas- pleasantly surprised at how he had turned the game around. It still wasn't the right thing that Montreal needed at that time. And the players that he had with him weren't necessarily the right players to bring out, you know, what he what he's good at. But he still managed to do a good job. And, you know, the Canadians still managed to ship him away. And I think with Yoel Armia, like, I don't know if the Canadians are willing to part with anyone that's truly that has true potential right like you're looking at like I I would think that somebody would ask for somebody like Joshua Raw, like another team would ask for Joshua Raw, like it would start there and onwards if they were to take on Yoel Armia so I don't know that the Canadians are going to be willing to have that conversation either in the salary retention or the player that you have to give up just simply because right now Yoel Armia's contract just looks like an albatross contract and he just needs, if he can figure it out and he can bring his game back to where it was three years ago, you know, or even four years, you know, like there were, there were some nights in those lean years where like he was the only guy scoring. Right. So if he can bring it back to a reasonably useful level, I still think that the Canadians are going to have to give up too much to unload that contract. It's a little bit of rambling there. And I do apologize. So I'm going to go back to and thank you, Peter, uh, for your questions. I am going to go back to Randy's uh, mailbag uh, question because he also talked about he had a different question. He said, I just picked up a biography of Larry Robinson that I am itching to read. What book did you pick up this summer that you are excited to read? So I didn't pick this up. My sister did. (laughs) And it's called The Case of the Exploding Mangos." And it seems like a truly intriguing book. Uh, she, She's the one who ordered it. It arrived the other day and she said I could read it first. So that's the book that I'm really, really excited to read as summer fades out. I know it's still really hot in Montreal and probably wherever you are in the world, too, there's a heat wave going on. Um, but I really like to sit in the park in the fall and kind of read books. And that's definitely the one that I'm the most excited about. Um, so... I have a question from Adam, Yu that I'm moving to next week. Um, And then we've got a couple of questions from, we've got a question from Kyle R uh, also, that is going to be the Monday episode. Um, And then we've got a couple of questions um, that uh, we are going to get to, but remember Daniel W you're getting an entire bonus episode for your question. Um, and our nemesis question is also being moved to next week because I'm running out of time. Because the segment that we have up next is one that I'm borrowing uh, from the the lovely and talented people, Locked On NHL Prospects. They did rankings for the entire prospect pools of the NHL for every team. Uh, I've forgotten apparently how to talk as I've been ill, but they did uh, you know rankings for every. Uh, every prospect pool in the NHL and they talked about the Canadians one. So I stole that segment and it's coming up next from Hattie Kalakesh and Sebastian high of locked on NHL prospects.
2: All right. So to end things off, we'll be talking about the Montreal Canadians, a pool that me and Sebastian probably know better than most pools. Uh, we've been following probably. the past fairly closely yeah, I mean, we're I'm I'm from Montreal. I'm a Habs fan. Sebastian's from Ottawa. He's a Habs fan. Uh, I'm also so, from
1: Montreal. But, I mean, I live in Ottawa, but I'm from Montreal. Absolutely. Grew up in Montreal. Montreal, born and bred. Yeah, absolutely. Well,
2: not born. So yeah, let's get right into on. it, into Montreal. Yeah, Mo- moving on. Uh, but yeah, we'll talk about the Montreal Canadiens prospect pool, and I think the, the the headliner for me is Lane Hudson, and there's zero doubt about it, right? I mean, of in course. terms of game making talent. He's he he's up there with the best in terms of defensemen in the entire NHL. Insanely skilled, insanely gifted. Um, the intelligence, the vision, uh, the the advanced awareness, the ability to anticipate lanes is just it's out of this world with Lane Hudson. Um, I really really like what he brings to the game, and I think it's just a matter of time before he's playing meaningful NHL minutes. Um, he does need to work on his pivoting. He does need to work on his foot speed overall, and. I think that the issues with defensive awareness are a bit overblown. Um, I don't think the issue is that he doesn't know what's going on defensively and what he needs to do. It's just that his body can't get to those lanes fast enough because he lacks the proper mechanics, skating wise, in order to get there on time, right? I mean, I don't, from what I've seen, I don't think Lane Hudson has a concern with defensive awareness.
1: I agree. I think Lane Hudson's one of the smartest prospects in the NHL right now and while it is most on display offensively where he is truly in his element uh he is one of the most dynamic shifty adaptable players that we've seen among blue liners in the past 5 years and yep. uh he's one of my personal favorites and always one of your personal favorites i think he's one of many people's personal favorites at this point uh, he's a yep. very very fun player and uh in my view has very impressive upside i think there is a world where he becomes a 70 point a season defenseman on a first pairing. And yeah. while there are definitely some hurdles along the way, that's that's not going to be a sure thing whatsoever. Mm-hmm. There is significant upside. And I think if he doesn't hit that level. He will be a really, really high end offensive defenseman in, in a top four nonetheless. So Absolutely. His, yeah. his progression in the last year has, has surprised even me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I think he's, he's the gem in this halves pool at the moment
2: hundred percent. And it's, it's, it's insane. I mean, 17 awards and accolades last year, including the scoring leader of his entire division, a very tough division in the hockey division in the NCAA as a Um, freshman defenseman, as a freshman defense. We've never seen that before, quite literally. So it's, it's just, it's insanity, but moving on to another defenseman in the pool uh, from Montreal, David Reinbacher is uh, their addition from the uh, from this recent draft to fifth overall. I'm still mitigated on whether that was the right pick. I understand why they made the pick, and I've I've warmed up a bit to the idea of David Ronbacker potentially becoming a number two, number three defenseman. Um, I really like the skating. I really like the defensive game, um, the gap control, the awareness. Really solid on the puck. Offensively, it's a struggle, and you can see it still today. Um, having watched rookie camp, I've I've watched him on the same pair as Lane Hudson. It was obvious that Lane Hudson was the one enticing him to activate off the puck, but if you put them in opposite scenarios where Hudson's activating and Reinbacher's the one having to stick-handle himself out of trouble and find a lane very quickly to make the pass, the same play doesn't happen, right? I mean, there's a lot to love about Reinbacher's game, but for me, the main issue is the stick-handling. That's that's definitely the issue here with Reinbacher. Locked top hand, having trouble, um, you know, kind of manipulating his way out of trouble, tends to play pucks and accelerate pucks through lanes in order to kind of get rid of the puck and making the puck someone else's problem, rather solving it himself and then delegating. Um, so that's mainly kind of my read on Ryan Reinbacher so far, but he is 18. He has a bunch of time to develop. So the runway is pretty decent, right?
1: For sure. I, I still think that he projects quite similarly to Caden Gooley. I think both yeah. are high likelihood number three defensemen who would need to... to really develop particular areas in their game by by a fair margin in order to unlock real, like, true top-pairing potential. With Caden Gooley, it's still his, his on-puck game as well, but more as a passer and uh, it being composed in possession. And with Reinbacher, it is about the handling skill and problem-solving with his hands, because he's able to mm-hmm. skate around opponents on the very large ice surface in Switzerland, And he won't have the same space in the NHL. And I think that his handling skill will uh, be put in the spotlight. So that's something that I think that the Habs and Reinbacher should start working on immediately. But Mm -hmm. if he can solve that and and really work on it to the point where it's not at all an NHL weakness, Mm -hmm. then I can see a world where Reinbacher can become a really very, 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 very effective number two defenseman. As of right Absolutely. now, I'm still more comfortable with a number three projection. But uh, he he's a very good player, and the draft is over. I think whether or not it was the right pick is is kind of in the rearview mirror at this point. But he's yep. an excellent prospect, and the Habs are lucky to have him in their system.
2: For sure. Um, for me, after that, there's a steep drop-off now that Uri is considered a graduate. Um, you know, we, we talk about some of the guys they have in here. Adia's pretty decent. They have Adam Engstrom, which probably in in... The the next couple of guys that we would mention, if we're ranking these guys, uh, Engstrom has developed his game in leaps and bounds. He's been very, very impressive to the point where, as we mentioned on a an earlier crossover episode with Laura from uh, Locked On Canadians, he, I mean, an opposing coach literally said to the to, to to the press to the press that he had no solution to Adam Engstrom, that he was having to adapt his systems and was having trouble doing it against a rookie SHL defenseman. It's just absurdity. Um, So just seeing him improve his game in terms of the dare that he shows, because in his draft year, he was playing behind Callie Adelius, who was the more offensive element on that pair. And Engstrom was put in a situation where he had to be reserved. He had to to hold back um, and and show a bit more um, kind of prudence uh, in his game overall. But he was just unleashed with Rogla in the SHL. Um, he's been playing extremely high octane and, and extremely, you know, daring hockey in terms of what he brings to the game. And that's been really impressive to watch, um, outside of Adam Engstrom, we've also got Logan Mayu, who we do need to mention, um, Mayu has one of the strongest shots outside of the NHL, uh, in my opinion, he's, he's up there with the the hardest shots I've seen in a very long time, um. And he has improved his offensive decision-making a tiny bit. He's become a bit more comfortable delegating, finding new pockets of space to work with in the offensive zone, that kind of thing. But the main issue with me has always been the dis- defensive decision-making, and I, I don't think that's gone anywhere in terms of progression recently. He's still the same kind of wait-and-see uh, wait, wait and see kind of defenseman, either that or he's just jumping into, uh, into hits and just leaving his defense partner completely out to dry. So it's just the decision making needs to come a long way with Mayu. I don't know if you've seen anything more recently because you have been our OHL scout for Dauber and I have watched him, but not as much as last year. So I don't know if you've seen any progression on that side at all.
1: I mean, I, I watched a fair bit of London last year. So I, I watched yeah. him in passing more than I watched him specifically. But mm-hmm. whenever I was watching guys like Oliver Bonk and more recently when I've gone watch Sam Dickinson, mm-hmm. I have seen quite a bit of Mayu. And I think you hit the nail on the head. I think the offensive tools are really intriguing. There's a very, very hard shot. His handling skill is quite clearly above average for mm-hmm. skaters in general, let alone defensemen. But there's a steep drop-off in beyond that. I think he's a decent passer when he sees lanes, but he's not a playmaker in terms of creating lanes and finding the hidden ones. Uh yeah. or or outwaiting or delaying with the puck. He he does what he sees he can do and he does it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that that makes his offensive game a little bit more simplistic than it would need to be in my mind, in order to make a top four offensive defenseman projection quite likely. Yeah. Whereas without mm-hmm. that, and I, I haven't seen that progress in the last couple seasons, I think he tops that as a bottom pairing offensive guy who could be a trigger man in the second power play. Uh, and can it does have good enough hands to, when he has space to work with, he can exploit it, which is, I think, why the power play is always where he shines in the OHL, and I think the same will be true in pro hockey.
2: Yeah, it makes sense. And, I mean, there's just a massive glut of depth uh, in the Montreal and that's what puts him this high in our in our uh, rankings. It's just just to rattle off some names because we'll run out of time at this point. I mean, Sean Farrell, Oliver Kapanen, o- o- Owen Beck, Riley Kidney, Joshua Roy, Philip Meshar, Blake Biondi can even be in that conversation. Um, Vincent Roar, one of of my favorites. Vincent's Roar is is one of my favorites as well. He's just so fun to watch with the intensity of the embrace of the game. And your absolute favorite,
1: too. Is that DC (laughs) Manon? Your boy.
2: Absolutely. I I, want to talk about him so bad, but we'll be here all day. Um, (laughs) Just to sum him up, he's a tree stump with the energy of a honey badger and. A very good and surprisingly good playmaking. Uh, but then you got Emil Heinemann, who's really come a long way in terms of his uh, play in the AHL. It's been really impressive to watch. Um, Scored a lot of goals. We're not even done, honestly. Yeah, and, and they've even got a decent pair of, of goaltending prospects in Jacob Fowler and Jakob Dobesh. So it's just there's just so much to like in terms of the amount of depth that they have in the system overall. We haven't even mentioned uh, William Trudeau who's also looked really good in his AHL tape so far. Um so so yeah, it's just there's a lot to really, really like in terms of what they've got in the system here, um, and, and what Montreal's got going on. I'm still looking to see when they add that true top line piece because they don't seem to have it in the NHL outside of Cole Caulfield, um, and and maybe Nick Suzuki. Uh, and they don't necessarily have it in the pool either. So it's just it's necessary if you want to be a contender to have a true bona fide franchise defining first line player, right? Like, I mean, I, of course when's the last time a team's won a cup without one? So that's still in in progress. And I think a lot of Habs fans are impatient to see when that happens. Um, But next year's draft, if it is another tank year for Montreal, could be an opportunity for that uh, with the likes of Ivan Demidov and Michael Celebrini uh, and a lot more going on there. So we'll see where that goes, but that wraps things up for today's episode of Locked on NHL Prospects. Thank you very much for tuning in.
0: Thank you to the wonderful Hattie Calication, Sebastian High for all of that analysis If we haven't done your mailbag question this week, it is coming up next week. There's a lot of fun stuff still there that I want to discuss that you guys sent. And I do really appreciate all the questions that you're sending. I will probably be solo or have a special guest for next week's Friday mailbag, So please keep the questions coming. Uh, And in the meantime, you can always follow us uh, on Twitter or whatever it was at LO underscore Canadians. Make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel. Uh, and also you can find us wherever you get your podcast. Please subscribe, like a review so people can find us. Uh, thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next week.